Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine Podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. In this episode, we'll be focusing on international origins. And we'll start off by checking in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy, editor and publisher of Family Tree Magazine, who has some resources that every international researcher should have in their toolkit. Then we'll cover the latest happenings in the genealogy world with the Genealogy Insider blogger, Diane Haddad. In our top tips segment, author Jim Beidler will give us some research tips from his upcoming article on Scott's Irish roots. Then our own in-house preservationist, Grace Dobush, will bring us another installment of safekeeping. And finally, in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, genealogist and author Lisa Alzo will share some great research strategies for tracing your immigrant ancestors from her online course called Tracing Your Immigrant Ancestors. There's lots to cover, so let's get to it. Our first stop is the editor's desk with Allison Stacy. that time of the podcast where we check in at the editor's desk with Allison Stacy. Hi, Allison. Hi, Lisa. Well, Allison, our theme for this episode is international origins. So what are some of the resources that you have for us that we could kind of tuck into our genealogical tool belt? One new resource that people want to check out is our International Genealogy Passport CD. This is great for anybody because it covers the whole world. And essentially what it is, um, a directory of websites, books, resources, archive addresses, pretty much all of the tools like you were talking about that you would put in your tool belt um, to help you research in just about any country in the world. Okay, so we pop this CD into the computer, and then what comes up? How do we work with it? Well, it'll... um, Once you pop it in your computer, you can navigate to a start menu, which when you get there, it'll have a list of different regions throughout the world. And then you would just click on one of those regions to go to the section that includes resources for that area of the world. So if you were to pick UK and Ireland, for example, it would take you to pages within the CD that include different websites with records, how-to websites, um, indexes of Uh, published indexes to records available for those areas, and then uh, addresses and contact information for different archives and libraries within that area of the world. Oh, I love that because, you know, of course, much of what we do is all location-based. We can just go to the region, and then I'm assuming it's searchable, right? We could just search for keywords and things we're looking for? Absolutely, it is searchable, and that's a new feature on this. This is actually an update to a CD that we had previously released, and some other new features on there is full-size maps for the various countries, which are usually helpful. You could print those out and keep those with your um, research binder. Nice. Uh, As well as updating all of the information, so you know anything that was out of date, dead website links, those have all been removed and replaced with new information. Oh, fantastic. Oh, that sounds great. So that's the International Passport CD? Yes, the International Genealogy Passport, and it's available at shopfamilytree.com. 
Okay, great. So I'll have a link in the show notes that takes you directly there. And of course, this being the October episode, it's Family History Month. Yes, <laughs> happy Family History Month, Lisa. Yes, you too. I'm sure you guys, I know you guys have things going on. What What are you doing that's uh, special for Family History Month? Well, it is a very busy month for us. Um, a couple things that folks might want to know about. We have a few free programs that you may want to take advantage of, or especially if you know anybody who's getting into genealogy or is kind of curious but hasn't fully committed to starting the journey to trace their family tree, we have two excellent opportunities for them. One is a free webinar that will take place live on the 16th of October. Um, So right about the time this podcast is being um, posted for everyone to hear. But um, it's also going to be available for viewing afterwards so that if you don't find out about it in time, you can still go to the website and watch the recorded presentation. And that's going to be called 10 Steps to Discover Your Roots. Um, it's a beginner's introduction to genealogy research. Right. And and I'm looking forward to being part of that and, and helping out with some of the search aspects. But it I love the recordings because you can tap into them afterward and then you know, start and stop them and take notes and, and really get the full um, set of information. Uh, a great starter for newbies. And then you said you had something else going on? We do. Um, another free opportunity for people to take advantage of is a starter course at Family Tree University. It's going to be a two-week, also a beginner introduction to genealogy. Um, but it, in addition to being a good opportunity for beginners, it's also a nice chance for folks who may be interested in taking a Family Tree University class but weren't really sure how it worked and um, want to get a better idea of the platform and the interaction involved. You can sign up for this free course to get a taste of the Family Tree University experience. So um, that is at FamilyTreeUniversity.com that you can go to sign up for that. And will that be a one-time offering or kind of rotated? When will that be held? Um, Well, we are doing it as a trial for Family History Month, and it seems like there is um, significant interest. So we think that we'll be offering it again on a kind of a rolling basis um, to give an opportunity to folks to try us out. Oh, well, what a neat opportunity, because um, I think you know, if you take the class, you're going to learn a lot, but you're also going to see really how innovative and exciting the online classes are. Um, Very interactive, lots of great information, and yet you can do it at your own pace. That's really the beauty of it. You can do it in your pajamas if you want. Exactly. (laughs) Because you're just at your computer and nobody around to see you. So (laughs) um, that's definitely a benefit. One last thing that I'll mention is... um, I know that everybody who listens to the podcast and is involved in genealogy is always looking for supplies and services and genealogy experiences, and we have a really, really great thing for you. Um, It's our Ultimate Family History Giveaway Sweepstakes. We've worked with many of our partners to donate prizes worth over $2,000, and one lucky person will win the entire prize package. I know that, Lisa, you gave um, your Google Genealogy DVD and um, a Genealogy Gems podcast premium membership, which are great. Yes. We have a lot more great prizes. So encourage everybody to go to win.familytreemagazine.com and enter. You can enter up to once a day. Fantastic. It really is a boatload of goodies. 
isn't it valuable? You said like over two thousand dollars, and includes a trip to Salt Lake City, you know, to to visit the uh, family history library and to stay at the hotel there next door. That in itself is amazing. That's right. So um, Family History Expos, which does family week-long family history retreats at the Family History Library, has graciously donated one of those retreats and threw in the hotel stay, like you said, at the hotel next door. Um, so along with software from Roots Magic and online subscriptions to sites like AmericanAncestors.org from the New England Historic Genealogical Society, Genealogy Bank, MyHeritage.com, FindMyPast.com, the list goes on. So, oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, if you win this prize, you're going to be pretty much set <laughs> for the next year in terms of your research needs. Uh, you can get a lot accomplished. Now, that's a good reason to visit FamilyTreeMagazine.com. Oh, how fun. Okay, we've got lots to celebrate for Family History Month. Allison, thank you so much for telling us all about it. You're welcome. It's time for some news from the blogosphere from the genealogy insider and managing editor of Family Tree Magazine, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hi. Well, of course, the big news in the last few weeks was Ancestry's acquisition of Footnote.com. Now, I know you've blogged about it a couple of times, so give us the scoop. What's been going on? Well, Ancestry.com actually acquired Footnote's parent company, which is called iArchives. And iArchives is a company that digitizes content for libraries, universities, um, other organizations like that. And they've been around a really long, well, they've been around a pretty long time. And they have relationships with these organizations. And they also have some proprietary scanning technology. And we kind of suspect that that's what Ancestry.com was after, not so much after just footnote, which is a great site, but also after this technology and those relationships with the organizations that own content. Right. Now, I'm guessing you have probably been hearing from readers and people in the message forum. What are people saying? What are the questions that they have about what this might mean for their their footnote website subscription and their ancestry subscription? Yeah, people have a lot of questions, and one of them is what's going to happen to Footnote. People have been using Footnote for a while. They really like the site, and they don't want it to turn into, say, another genealogy.com, which Ancestry.com bought back in, I think it was 2003, and hasn't really done anything with. They're concerned that prices might go up, that that there's no competition for Ancestry.com, so you know, so there will be a kind of stagnation in the industry. Exactly. Well, and of course, the question that keeps coming to mind, I know I hear from listeners, is here Ancestry is acquiring all these, you know, this is not the first company that they've acquired. They're definitely building, and yet right. FamilySearch, a free site, is moving just as fast, it seems like, and yet their content is free. Mm-hmm. What do you think is going to shake out in the long run? Well, I'm, I think that Family Search will continue to provide that competition for Ancestry.com. So I'm glad that Family Search is around because, you know, the two organizations will spur each other on, you know, to further technological developments. And I think it's just interesting that Ancestry.com is commercial and Family Search is not, and how that will affect Ancestry.com in the future will be really interesting to watch. 
Yeah, I think the bottom line as far as the footnote acquisition is that Ancestry hasn't said anything yet about, you know, what if anything they'll do. They could leave the two sites as they are, you know, or they could offer, you know, records, have a cross um, content kind of thing. So, you know, we just don't know yet. They haven't said yeah, we're all going to have to wait with bated breath. Now, I noticed on September 23rd, um, you had posted a second post about this. And I love this. You did a bit of a cluster genealogy <laughs> about the acquisitions of ancestry. <laughs> the Tell genealogy us. of genealogy. Yeah. I love your chart because it's uh, it has moved so quickly. And you guys have to check out this blog post because Diane has sketched out basically the genealogy of ancestry and the various... Um, acquisitions that they've made and boy it really does give you the big picture you can see that if nothing else they're aggressively going after the market right it does kind of seem like all lines lead there yeah (laughs) a little bit of a cynical viewpoint there (laughs) well that's a great way to put it well thanks so much for uh, keeping us all up to date on it here on the podcast and also on uh, the genealogy insider blog and i'll have links to um, diane's posts on this subject in the show notes thanks so much for joining us diane you're welcome Did you know that the immigrant group we commonly refer to as the Scotch-Irish were first called Ulster Scots in the mid-1800s? I've invited author Jim Beidler back to the podcast to tell us more about this hearty group of ancestors and how to find them. Welcome back to the show, Jim. Hi, Lisa. Great to have you here. It's really good to be back. Well, you know, I was just reading through your new article. It's called Trace Your Scots-Irish Roots, coming up in the uh, January issue of Family Tree Magazine. And you give us some very important background on the Scots-Irish that's, that kind of helps us understand their place in history and therefore where to look for records. Can you give us a quick overview of, of who exactly these people were? Absolutely, Lisa. And, and uh, this is uh, vital in uh, in both getting started and also uh, trying to uh, uh, trying to get back as far as you can with uh, with Scots Irish ancestors, uh, probably the most important thing is to remember that it's a two step immigration process. Uh, first, these ethnic Scots uh, and including a, a few English from the, the the border area of England and Scotland. Uh, first went to Ulster, which is uh, the northern part of the island of Ireland. And then roughly a century later, many of those people started coming to America. Uh, so, so you have, you kind of have three venues that you're, you're dealing with and, and, uh, usually you're, you're going to have to go back. You're going to be starting with American records, uh, then dealing with, uh, with Ulster records. And then finally, with uh, some some Scottish records, the uh, the history is that uh, when James the sixth of Scotland took the throne of England as James the first, uh, his English king predecessors had fought wars to try to uh, subjugate the Irish, and in the process, Northern Ireland was left fairly depopulated. So James's solution was to uh, give the land and large estates to his cronies and bring in a lot of ethnic Scots to uh, to people that area. This was in the early 1600s. And uh, immigration from 
uh, Scotland to Northern Ireland continued throughout the 1600s. And then when uh, in the early 1700s, when uh, these landlords in Northern Ireland started to uh, try to raise the rents of these folks quite dramatically, that's what then started pinching them toward uh, going to America uh, in the early, first in the 17-teens. Exactly. These folks have a, a long heritage of of immigration and having to deal with the happenings in the areas where they were living, which kind of kept pushing them forward in, into where they went. When did they first start coming then to America, did you say? What was the impetus for that? Well, the, the impetus, they, they call it the, the rack rent crisis. Uh, and what, what had happened is uh, a lot of those who came from Scotland to, to Ireland, uh, they would sign 20-year leases. And uh, a lot of them had come in the in the 1690s, and then 20 years later, these leases expire. Their landlords are really trying to uh, to jack the rents up on them, and so either either they were facing eviction, uh, or or not, you know, at any rate, not wanting to pay these higher rents, and that's when they were coming to uh, to America. Uh, 1717 is looked upon as the uh, the date of first significant Scots-Irish immigration to America. Right. Now, I know in your article you were saying that they are kind of known as a people for not leaving a lot of records. And so I'm guessing that this is not going to be this straightforward, just work your way back, you know, decade by decade. What strategy do you recommend in tackling our Scots-Irish roots? Well, it, it's one that I, that I call uh, a, a forward and back strategy. Uh, and what what this involves is the fact because to try to combat the fact that they were moving a lot of times to head of county organization, ahead of uh, of the uh, churches keeping keeping records. Uh, the way to fight that is to, uh, in some cases, use whole family genealogy. That is tracing not only your direct line but the collateral lines, and trace it forward to the second half of the 1800s, and uh, while these folks, many of them, uh, most of them started in Pennsylvania, Shenandoah Valley of Virginia, the Carolinas, by the mid-1800s, well, they're all over the country, but especially the uh, the backwoods areas, West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, uh, throughout the South, uh, figure out where where they were at that time when the uh, the county biographical histories were, were being written in the second half of the 19th century. And if you can find an individual, again, may not be your direct line ancestor, it may be a, a collateral relative who has the same immigrant ancestry. And in those uh, so-called mug books, these county biographical histories, it may give you the history back into Shenandoah Valley, into Pennsylvania perhaps, and give you uh, where they came from, at least perhaps maybe which county of Ulster that they came from across the water. Right. You know, it's interesting when you think about them not being a group that that was known for a lot of record keeping, as you're describing the research process, what I'm really thinking is, wow, we really need to be record keepers during the research process, you know, using worksheets and tracking because there's going to be a lot of uh, comings and goings and building whole family groups. And that's not just something that we can plug a little fact here and there in a database, but we really need to track all of that 
uh, on sheets and worksheets and things that we can kind of keep referring back to, right? Absolutely, yeah. It, it's 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 a uh, as you're alluding to, it's a more a more complicated uh, process. Uh, the happy byproduct of it is, of course, when when uh, those of us who who've done uh, more of a whole family genealogy rather than just the straight up the stove pipe of the direct line, uh, you 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 find things on on the way there, and you find things you, you may find heirlooms like family Bibles and things like that that are in a collateral line, but will have references to your your direct line. So it it can be a uh, while in the beginning it seems a little bit intimidating, uh, once you get going in it, I think you'll you'll uh, believe as I do that the the rewards are worth it. Oh, absolutely. Now you had a great tip uh, in the article about how to determine the village of origin by uh, searching for the family surname in what the 1901 and 1911 Irish census. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, what, what I, the way that kind of came about is, uh, first of all, the, the, the censuses that might have been of more use from the, from the 1800s, uh, they were either destroyed in the Irish Civil War or unfortunately were um, destroyed by, by uh, public order during World War I. Mm, gosh. But, but uh, these later censuses, 1901 and 1911, uh, look for the family names uh, that you're looking for, because uh, those who, who stayed behind, if they did not become part of this great Scots-Irish immigration in the 1700s and first half of the 1800s, there's probably a pretty good shot they may be uh, still in the same village or in the same county that it may allow you to narrow your research. As I, as I, always, as I always tell people when I'm teaching a genealogy course, what are, we, what are we trying to do here? We're either trying to make the needle bigger or the haystack smaller uh, when, when we, when we uh, are, are working with, uh, with record groups. And this is one where you're attempting to make that haystack smaller, and hopefully the, the needle of your ancestors will be more prominent that way. That's a great point. And uh, yeah, that why not? You know, check and see kind of where that name seems to be today and work from there. You know, if you have Scots-Irish ancestors, Jim Beidler's article is really a must-read. It includes pretty much everything you need to know just to get the basic understanding of the historical context, which, of course, then allows you to dig into uh, all the available records and websites, which he has all listed there in the article. Jim, thanks so much for joining us today on the show. You're welcome, Lisa. It's a, it's a delight, and uh, I, I had a lot of fun doing the, the Scots-Irish article myself. Uh, a few years ago when I was uh, executive director of the Genealogical Society of Pennsylvania, I would get a lot of queries from people about Scots-Irish, and I'll admit I didn't know much about the ethnic group at that time. I'd, I'd use the hasty generalization say, well, they came, they went, and they left no records. <laughs> now, 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 obviously, so while there are challenges, I've, uh, I've, I've proved that wrong in, in writing the article that there, there are uh, some strategies that you can certainly use. Exactly. Your article gives us hope. That's right. <laughs> Thanks again, Jim. You're welcome. Hi, everybody. This is Grace, the preservation expert here at Family Tree Magazine. It's Family History Month, and if you're like us, it's got you thinking about your family's legacy. 
Even if you're not the primary keeper of heirlooms, you've probably got a lot of papers, doodads, and knickknacks around the house. I'll start helping you pare down your collection without going crazy in this edition of Safekeeping. I firmly believe there's no better feeling than the one you get when you rid your home of junk you just don't need. But how do you pare down your holdings without losing valuable information? I've got the lowdown on what to keep, what to skim, and what to trash. Absolute must-saves include vital records, address books, journals, diaries, and ledgers, employment records and resumes, Christmas cards with envelopes, correspondence, and graduation, birth, and marriage announcements. All of these can provide vital clues about your ancestors or your own life and times. If you have any of the following items, you should skim them for important info and then trash them if you come up empty. These items include old calendars, receipts, medical records, auto registration papers, and church and club newsletters. News clippings also fall under this category, but read them closely to see if you can determine why the story was saved initially. A friend or a relative might be in the story. And these are some things you can just toss in the recycling bin or stick in the shredder. Bank statements, old insurance policies, old utility bills, receipts for unknown items, and old credit card statements. If you find you have an overflow of ephemera you can't keep, it might be worth looking into donating it to a local genealogical library or historical society. Give your local society a call if you have any of the following. Old high school or college yearbooks, old directories or phone books, community cookbooks, photos or artwork of local scenes, and published histories of local families or organizations. I can't guarantee that your local society will take those items, but it's better to ask and be denied than just toss potentially valuable items into the trash. Next month, I'll talk about what to do with all the heirlooms you decide to keep in your collection. Until next time, stay safe. In this episode's Family Tree University Crash Course segment, we'll continue exploring our international origins with genealogist and author Lisa Alzo, who's going to share some tips from her online course. It's called Tracing Immigrants, How to Research Your Family's American Arrivals. Welcome back to the show, Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. It's always great to talk to you. Oh, I love talking with you, too. It's been a little while, but I know that you have many, many years of experience doing immigrant ancestor research. So, obviously, you're the perfect choice for teaching this online class. Give us a quick overview. What do you cover in the Tracing Immigrants course? Well, this course uh, is designed for people who are interested because they want to learn more about where their family came from and when they came. And you know, most of us can you know, trace at least one ancestor that came across on, on one of the boats. And so what you'll learn in this class is, you know, from the beginning, how to gather information, you know, first using home sources and oral history interviews. Also, which U.S. sources are the best to consult when you're trying to track an immigrant ancestor? So many people want to jump the pond first, and really you can find a lot of valuable clues in the U.S. sources. And then I will cover briefly some tips about naturalization records, passenger lists, how to utilize both 
online and offline resources because not everything is online uh, yet today. And also using social history and, and tracing migration patterns to help track your ancestor. Wow, there's, there's so much to cover there. Let's head back to the beginning. Now, you mentioned, of course, what we should always do, which is starting at home. Got any tips for us on what does that mean? What do we do at home to try to get started on this search? Well, first, of course, you're going to fill out your pedigree chart, you know, starting with yourself and going backwards as far as you can go. And then you really need to start asking everyone you know. So if you're fortunate enough to have your parents or grandparents still alive or aunts or uncles, cousins, you need to just sit down with them and ask them, you know, what kind of documents do you have? What what can you give me? So you're looking for things like baptismal certificates and passports and, and other paperwork that may help give an idea of where your ancestor came from in the old country. Uh, and then you're know, really sitting down and chatting with them and, and spending some time. If you don't have parents or grandparents, and unfortunately, many of us start too late, I even started too late, uh, you need to try to find anybody in your family, even, you know, a second cousin may have some information that you don't know they have. And if they don't know you're interested in genealogy, they're not going to know to send it to you. So you need to, you know, get out and connect either with social networking sites, or if you have a relationship with them, call them, email them, anybody that you can think of, make a list of anybody in your family that might have this documentation. And that's, that's really what starting at home is all about. And I know for many new researchers, it can be very tempting to kind of skip that. But boy, you sure save a lot of headaches and time and money, don't you? Absolutely. And, and I have an example of this. Uh, when I was doing this, as you mentioned, I've been doing this for, for a long time, you know, 20 plus years. And, and I remember when I was doing this about maybe 10 or 15 years ago, and I was tracing initially started out tracing my maternal grandmother's line. And I had done so much research, and I even wrote a book called Three Slovak Women about it. And I had a cousin on my father's side who happened to just uh, send me in the mail one day an envelope. And he wrote me a note and said, I was going to shred these, but since you're into genealogy, I thought I'd just send them to you. If you don't want them, shred them. Well, in that envelope was my grandmother's death certificate, uh, my grandparents' deed to their house, and some other genealogical goodies that if I were to track that, I would have had to go through a long, arduous process and spend money and spend time doing that. So because he knew I was into genealogy, he sent them to me. Wow, what a story. Oh, all shredders should be banned, shouldn't they? Yes. <laughs> Oh, gosh, great story. Well, now, eventually we're going to head online, and mm -hmm. um, we might be looking at the Ellis Island website or Ancestry, but you have a really good tip about what to do before you do that. Tell us about that. Well, the first thing you need to do is you need to, no matter what online database you're searching, the very first thing you want to do is read the instructions. And it's just like making a cake or trying to change the oil in your car. You know, you, ne you wouldn't necessarily do that without reading the instructions. And the same goes for online databases. You really shouldn't just type in uh, names 
randomly because you want to uh, know what the database does, know what it includes, know what it doesn't include, and then proceed to do your searching. And things like, you know, does it support wildcard searching? How many fields can you search? So really, if you want to go to the frequently asked questions or a help page or a tip page, each database is specific in where they put their instructions, but you want to read that first before you proceed. That's great advice because I know I often tell you know my listeners and my students that um, it's just as important to know what's not there as what is there. And exactly. oftentimes you'll just beat your head against a wall and not realize, oh my gosh, this wasn't even part of this collection. So wonderful advice. What else do you have for us um, to kind of ease some of the pain and get us to some of those successes? Well, names. Names are a big problem. Probably the bane when searching for uh, immigration records or census records, especially if your ancestors you know, came from Europe. Like my ancestors came from Eastern Europe. And the names you know, are usually written down as they sounded phonetically and, and not always spelled correctly and not always the same name as uh, even as it appeared in the old country. So names could be changed to be more Americanized or to shorten. And the myth that the names were, you know, magically changed at Ellis Island or purposefully changed uh, when the immigrant came through is not correct. So generally that usually happened once the immigrant settled here and established roots and would go and make documents, uh, you know, legal documents uh, once they settled in the country. So you really want to be creative with your spelling. And I always say, think like a transcriptionist. If you were given a handwritten passenger list from the 1890s and you had trouble deciphering what that name was, what would you type? And so then you want to make a list of all the different possibilities, all the different spellings and the way the name could possibly be. If nicknames, for example, my grandfather, I found him as Janusz, which is Hungarian for John, Jan, which is Slovak for John, and John. So you can't just rely on one name. That's a great point. And you often recommend um, Steve Morse's one-step tools, don't you, for honing in on searches, things like names, things, the variables that you're just not sure about? Yes. Steve Morse's site is just such a godsend to genealogists. It's wonderful. I mean, it's basically, it's searching in one step. And and if you go to his site, there's a whole frequently asked questions of how to use it. Again, read the instructions. But basically, it allows you to search on sounds like for names and places. And that helps you find those elusive ancestors you may be missing due to those spelling or transcription errors. And he has all sorts of criteria that you can combine and to try to narrow your search. And the sounds like is good because it does pick up on those phonetic issues and gives you many, many possibilities. So uh, if there is a transcription or typing error, for example, maybe you do know the name of the village or you know the locality. Maybe you can search on uh, all the immigrants that came from a particular locality or you can do a sounds like or an exact name and you can combine the different criteria. And this works especially well for the Ellis Island database, but he does have other tools uh, that will interface with some of the other 
ports of arrival, you know, Baltimore and, and Philadelphia and pre-Ellis Island, the Castle Garden lists, and those interface with the Ancestry.com immigration collection. So uh, you, you really want to try to utilize his tools as well. And that's probably another tip is don't just search one way in one database. Utilize all the tools that are available to you, all the databases in the different versions. Well, I know that's what you cover in your course are all those tools, all the different things. Some, sometimes it's just a refresher on something, oh, that's right, we need to go back and do that. And other times, I know I've seen you talk about things in that class that, that I'd never heard of, so wonderful resources. You know, if you would like to really learn the keys to tracing your immigrants' ancestors, I highly recommend Lisa's online course. Not only will you have fascinating lesson plans, but you're also going to be able to have online access to Lisa herself. She is so knowledgeable, and you can ask her questions along the way. So I will have a link to the Tracing Immigrants course in the show notes for this episode. Or you could just go over to FamilyTreeUniversity.com and click on Courses in the menu and select Tracing Immigrants. And you'll also find there lots of other great courses that will build your research muscles. Lisa, as always, thank you so much for sharing your expertise. Thank you, Lisa. It was all, it's always great to talk to you, and I, I appreciate the time. Thanks very much. Thanks so much for joining me for this October 2010 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show for America's number one genealogy magazine. Here are a couple of action items for you until we meet here again next month. First, be sure and visit the Genealogy Insider blog for all the latest genealogy news on a daily basis at blog.familytreemagazine.com insider. Next, go to FamilyTreeMagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode, which will include information and website links for everything that we've covered on today's episode, including links to Shop Family Tree, where you can pick up those research resources that Allison told us about. And finally, don't miss FamilyTreeUniversity.com, where you can browse the upcoming courses, including Lisa Alzo's Tracing Immigrants class. If you have any questions or comments, email me at ftmpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I hope that you'll visit me at my website at genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcasts, the Genealogy Gems podcast, and Family History, Genealogy Made Easy. Both shows are also available through iTunes. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree. Thank you.